today we're entering week number 10 um, in the book of Genesis, and this is going to be our last week um, in the book, and you guys can all sigh um, relief, right? We've been here for 10 weeks. Um, we've been here for 10 weeks, uh, and so the Lord is leading me into um, a new direction, and I'm really excited about next week. Uh, we're going to be kicking off a brand new series uh, called The Gospel of John, um, the Gospel of John. We're going to be looking at the entire book um, of John uh, over the next several weeks, all the way through Easter um, and possibly through the end of April. Uh, and we're going to be looking at the Gospel, and we're going to see uh, all of the things that are written to us so that we will believe. And so tell your family, tell your friends, make sure you're here next Sunday, 1030, um, as we kick off that new series. Now, uh, we are going to be covering a large amount of scripture today, and so you're going to have to bear with me as we're going to be covering about 14 chapters. Uh, verse by verse, we're going to be here um, until this evening, um, just listening to the word of God. Do you know, one of the things, um, do you want to know what it means when the pastor looks at his watch? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. Um, and so, um, if you guys are ready to dive into the Word of God, please turn with me to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 30, I, I promise you, um, we're not going to read verse by verse uh, these last 14 chapters, okay? I saw the look on some of your faces, um, especially those who are in the Bible study on Wednesday night. And they're like, we're going verse by verse through the book of Revelation. And I get going, and when the pastor gets going, I don't want to stop. <laughs> so, um, yeah, thank you. Thank you for encouraging me. Um, one of the most heart-wrenching words in the human language is the word closed. Closed. Have you ever pulled up to a restaurant or a store that you really needed to go to or you, you wanted to go and eat this specific meal and you get there and they have a closed sign? And your heart just drops, it just sinks, right? Anybody else ever find themselves in that place where you, like you're hyped up? And, and so for me, I just, just want to share with, with you, you know, my, my wife and I will go out every now and then without children. And uh, we will we'll play this tug of war match of like, who's going to pick where, where we're going to eat dinner? What restaurant are we going to go to? And we will play this back and forth. And for me, I'm one of those people that if I make a decision, I'm a different person 15 minutes later. And so if we show up and that it's, not, it's not right, you know, that I'm a completely different person, right? And so I hate showing up to a restaurant or a store where I, I wanted and I've been planning to go and it says closed. I believe, not, not in the sense of the restaurant, but I believe that Solomon understood the, the word closed when he said that hope deferred makes the heart sick in, in Proverbs chapter 13. I want you to imagine with me for just a moment this morning that you're a child it's summertime and, and and sports are starting up and they're starting to practice and you ask your parents if you can go and play and so they go and buy you your equipment and, and your parents help you prepare and you go and you practice with that team for two whole weeks and there are too many players and now people have to start getting cut from the team and the roster is read out loud by the coach one afternoon and your name is not on it and the coach says, next year we're planning to have two teams. And so as a young child, you ride in your car home with your parents completely in tears because your opportunity is closed. Or, or maybe you dreamt since you were a little girl 
about the one that you would marry, about the thrill of falling in love and your beautiful wedding day, the the, the release of peace, of, of being held by someone who loves you above all others. But that door closes over and over and over again. Or perhaps you've come to a place of middle age and you step back and you attempt to take stock of your life and and all of the things that you wished or hoped you would have accomplished. You decide to stay with your job and and after several years and and so many late nights and weekends and, and working on your vacations, the promotion is given to somebody else. And the door is slammed shut on the thing that you thought you wanted the most. Or maybe, maybe, just maybe, every single career door is open for you. Every relationship door is open for you. You made every single team and you were a part of every single club. And you come to a place in your life where the doctor says, I'm sorry, but you have cancer. And all of the doors of your life, they start to close. It's heartbreaking. It's a disappointing word to receive closed. You know, for us as humans, it it means that we've been locked out. It means that we've been excluded or unwelcomed. That there's an opportunity that's been disallowed from our lives. All of our dreams, our aspirations are left in the ashes, in the dust. You know, a closed door can feel so permanent, so conclusive, so final. I'm not sure about you, but it seems like every time I turn around, I hear another story just like this. There's another tragedy that's spoken about on the TV. There's another injustice that arises because of some race or some new natural disaster that's occurring. There's some moral failure that we see from someone who is prominent in the Christian, the, the, the Christian circle. Some unthinkable and awful and horrible thing happens and it leads to terribly depressing news. And even as a pastor, if I'm 100% honest with you this morning... I begin to doubt at different times with all of the bad things going on. I have moments of of doubt in my own life, in my own walk, with my own health, with all of the things that we're hearing and seeing in the news today. I have doubts. There are so many people close to me. There are people here in this church that are walking through tough times. They're walking through a desert or or a valley. People who are going through financial stress. People who have had miscarriages or health problems. People who are suffering from anxiety or, or depression or even suicidal thoughts. Stress. Loneliness. Lows, in my eyes, seem to be more and more common than highs. 
in people's personal and, and spiritual lives right now. And we have a, a tendency in our, our Christian circles to throw out the phrase, God is in control. And though I believe that, and though that is absolutely true, it doesn't lessen the pain. It doesn't lessen the pain. You know, I, I do not usually doubt that God is in control. But being honest with you this morning, more times than I would even care to share, I have asked God if he was with me in the midst of my suffering. More times than I would care to share, I have asked God, what are you doing? Have you ever felt like that, church? Have you ever been in that place where you, you wondered what God's plan was for your life? Where, where, you, where you wondered what was going on? Have you ever cried out, God, where are you? Where's your grace? Where's your mercy that, that the scripture says is boundless? Where? I want us to see someone in scripture this morning who was in a similar situation. I want to show us that there is an answer in the midst of those problems, in the midst of our circumstances, and in the midst of our pain and our suffering, there is an answer. I want to show you that there is hope in Scripture, not, not just because of God's sovereignty. Yes, He is sovereign, but because of God's grace. Because of God's grace. You know, I know saying the answer that God is sovereign does not minimize the place that you're in. But it does give us a purpose in our pain. It gives us a purpose. Because in Christ, pain is never pointless. Pain is never pointless. You know, Scripture has something to say directly to each one of us this morning in the midst of our trials and circumstances. And so if you're not there, I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 37. Today I want us to look at the life of Joseph. And for those of you who have been in church any length of time, you've probably heard this story before. Joseph. The son who's thrown into the pit and sold into slavery and goes to Egypt and becomes second to Pharaoh, right? Wrong. You've probably heard this story wrong your entire life. You've heard the story of a guy who has the worst situations in the world, but because he trusts God, everything works out in the end. That's what we've been taught for years. And it sounds good and all, but some of us are going to get stuck in the middle of the story. We won't see things tied up with a nice little bow at the end. And we miss the things that God teaches us. We see all throughout the scripture here that not one time does God lose control, that he always has a handle on every single thing. All the way back to Genesis chapter 12, he made a promise to Abraham. He's saying, you will have descendants that will far outweigh the number of stars in the sky or the, the grains of sand on the earth. 
and your family will bring blessing. And this whole entire account of Joseph is to show us that in all things, God is in complete control. All things. You know, this, this story, so often we focus on the successes of Joseph, but this story is more about the faithfulness of God. So I want us to, to read this passage of scripture this morning in light of a specific question. In light of a specific question. What would it look like for you and I? What would it look like for us to live with the assurance of knowing that everything that happens to us is a part of God's plan? What would it look like in our lives to know that God is always in control? Always. So let's read now. Verse number 1 of chapter 37. Jacob lived in the land of his father sojourning in the land of Canaan. And these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pastoring in the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph bought, brought a bad report of them to their father. And now Israel loved Joseph more than the other, other of his sons, because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe, or a coat, or a tunic, depending on the version that you have, of many colors. And I want us to stop right there. Joseph is always portrayed and hailed as the perfect Bible character. But immediately, we see something in Scripture here that is wrong with Joseph. And most of the time, it's overlooked. The first thing that we see here is that it says that he brought a bad report about his brothers. A bad report. I want you to know that the Hebrew word that Moses used here was the Hebrew word dibah. D-I-B-B-A-H. Dibah. It means to slander in secrecy. To slander. We see a tattletale looking to get his brothers in trouble right out of the gate in this chapter. But look what happens. Look what happens back in verse number 3. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. And because he was the son of his old age and he gave him a robe of many colors. I want us to stop. This gift is often also overlooked. Joseph receiving this coat was the very thing that every boy wants from his father. Every boy wants to receive the gift of patriarchy. To say, son, you're the next one to lead the family. You're the one to rise up. You're the one to step into my shoes and lead us well and right. And if you notice when it said, and these are the generations of Joseph, it didn't name any of the other boys. It went right to Joseph. It skipped over Reuben. It skipped over Levi. It skipped over Judah. All of them, Dan, Naphtali, none of them are mentioned. Joseph was given the gift saying, son, you are the next in line. Son, I'm giving you the coat that your brothers all want. It's meant for the oldest. It was meant for Reuben. It signified status in the home. And the family, it meant no more manual labor. It meant pampering. 
And so his brothers hate him. For all of this, and then to make matters worse, we're introduced to the dreamer. So look at verse number 5. And now Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. And he said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to mine. And his brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dream and for his words. In verse number 9, and then he dreamed another dream. And he told it to his brothers. And he says, behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun and the moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, and his father kept the saying in mind. We see the immaturity of a teenager. He was given a dream by God, and immediately he responds by telling people about it. Immediately he responds to his brothers, knowing that his brothers already have displayed much sinful behavior. He responds by running and telling them. You know, so often we hear this story and we want to place Joseph on a pedestal, but unfortunately what we're really seeing here is a snobby, rich kid that nobody likes. So let's see what happens. Let's look at verse number 12. And so his brothers went to pasture their flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, Here I am. And so he said, Go now and see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock and bring me word. And so he sent him to the, the valley of Hebron and he came uh, and he came to Shechem, verse 15, and a man found him wandering in the fields. And the man asked him, what are you seeking? I'm seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where are they pasturing the flock? And the man said, they have gone ahead, for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. He's not talking about Alabama, by the way. They're still in the Middle East. Just, just wanted to throw that out there. And so Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. And they saw him from afar... And before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, come here, or here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into the pits. And then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him. And we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of the hand, saying, let us not take his life. And Reuben said to him, shed no blood, throw him into the pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him. That, that he might rescue him out of the hands to restore him to the father. And so when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him. Notice, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore. And they took him and threw him into a pit. And the pit was empty and there was no water in it. Now I want us to stop right there. Talk about having a bad day. Talk about having a bad day. Listen, I, I am the middle of five children. Um, I'm the only boy. I have two older sisters and two younger sisters that I've grown up with my whole entire life. And many a times did we fight 
about some of the silliest and some of the most serious things. But not one time did I ever plot to murder one of my siblings. Never in in my wildest dreams did I ever think about selling. Well, maybe as a joke. But but never, never would I have gone through with what, what's being talked about here. You know, uh, the part of what happens to Joseph that we saw is that his coat is stripped off of him. You know, this is, this is not just being mugged and, and someone stealing an expensive jacket from you. Joseph is metaphorically stripped of his status as the, the next patriarch of the family. He, he's stripped of the very thing that made him, him. The very thing that he clung to for his identity. It, it made him special. It made him important. And he was stripped of the very thing that solidified all of those things for him in his identity. And I, I sit here as I was putting this together and I couldn't help but wonder, has that ever happened to you? Has it has it ever happened? Have you ever been stripped of something that made you, you? Has everyone, has anyone ever taken your coat, so to speak? You invested so much time into a marriage until it was shattered by unfaithfulness. And you were left alone and confused. Or, or, or maybe, or maybe, just maybe you invested everything into your, your company only to become the scapegoat of something that you didn't even do or had no knowledge of. And you were left ashamed. And your name had been slandered. Your spouse and the company, they stripped your coat. Or or maybe you spent day after day after day raising a child or children in the way that they should go, and they bailed on you in faith as soon as they had the opportunity. Leaving leaving you to feel like a failed parent. Your child stripped you of your coat. Church, I I want you to hear something. Christian, friend, I want you to hear something. The sins of others does not mean it's the end of your story. The sins of others does not mean it's the end of your story. And as believers, sin is never the end of the story for us. Sin is never the end. It doesn't have to be the end. Sin, whether it's somebody else's, whether it's the effect of somebody's sin, whether it's your own, it does not have to be the end of your story. If you're breathing in this building this morning, your story is not over God is not done with you yet. And so the first thing I want you to see this morning in Scripture is that your coat does not prescribe your calling. Your coat does not prescribe your calling. If if your entire calling is wrapped up in your proverbial coat, then when it's stripped away from you, your entire life is going to fall apart. But when, when the kids leave, when the finances are low, when your relationships crumble, it's all over for you. Church, believer, I want you to look right up here real quick. 
look right up here. I don't want you to miss this. Our, our comfort and our contentment and our identity can never come from anything other than Christ. It cannot come from anything other than Christ. This is why Paul said this, and this verse is going to hit the screen. He said, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If, if God has allowed for us to be stripped of any one of these things, then he has a perfectly good reason for it. There's a perfectly good reason, even if it makes no sense to us whatsoever. And we're going to see this over and over and over again in the life of Joseph. He, he obtains a status, and it comes with some sort of clothing to represent that. And then he's unjustly stripped of that clothing, and he's thrown into a pit. It happens over and over and over in his life. And God is the one directing every piece of it. You know, if Joseph, if Joseph had, had chosen to focus only on what had been taken from him, he would have never been used so mightily by God. Which is a a very strong picture for us. Church, we should never stay focused on what has been taken from us. Never. Because if, if we stay focused on what's been taken from us, then we're going to miss what God has for us and what God wants to do in us and what God wants to do through us. In the middle of pain and suffering, I know it's hard. We're having to walk through it right now. I know it's hard in the midst of pain and suffering. I know it's hard in the midst of loss. My wife and I had to bury our first child. I know what it's like to lose people close. I know what it's like to have to have health concerns. I'm walking through cancer right now. I know what it's like and I know it's hard to hear these things. I know it's hard to walk in them every single moment of every day when you feel like giving up and you don't know where to go. I know it's hard. Church, I know it's hard. It's hard to focus when things have been stripped away from you. But just because your coat is gone doesn't mean you've lost your purpose. Just because your coat is gone doesn't mean you've lost your purpose. God's calling on your life is still to move forward. He's calling us to get up and go. To keep taking the next step. But we will never understand that until we realize the security that we have in the, the hands of God. There's nothing that can derail God's plan. God's plan will always come to fruition in the end. Always. Life may detour because of choices that we made or because of the choices of somebody else, but nothing derails the final plans of God. So don't cling to your coat. Don't cling to your coat. 
when it's stripped away, we must respond by saying, fine, take my coat. Take it because I have Christ and I would rather have Christ than to have the comfiest and coziest and most expensive coat any day of the week. Joseph being sold into slavery was just the beginning of God accomplishing his plan. Just the the very tip of the iceberg. And do you know how I know that? Because I read the whole story. I read the whole story. But you know who doesn't know it right here in Genesis 37? Joseph. He has no idea, and God is allowing Joseph's coat to be stripped away, but he's beginning to fulfill Joseph's calling in his life. Life. So I want us to see what happens next. Jump with me to chapter number 39. So his brothers see see a caravan of people coming. They sell him. And now Joseph is in Egypt. So look at verse number one. And now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. And the Lord, don't miss this, the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man and was in the house of the Egyptian master. And stop right there. We begin to see another reoccurring theme here in Joseph's life. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. And it says it over and over if you read through all of these chapters. And this is what made Joseph successful. Joseph may have been a slave in Egypt. But knowing God is what made him successful. Having God with him even in the midst of that slavery. The chapter goes on to tell us that he begins to find favor with Potiphar. And and Potiphar puts him in charge of everything that he has, and he doesn't care anymore about it. He knows it's going to be taken care of well. And we begin to see all of this unfold. This was a part of God's plan. God was protecting and preserving Joseph even in the midst of uncertainty for him. He sovereignly moved Joseph from the pit to the palace. From the pit to the palace. And then this, in my opinion, is where the story gets good. You guys are readers, book readers in here? Anybody? All three of us. Great. I'm an avid, avid book reader. Um, It it helps keep my mind sharp. And um, I read three, four books a week, and occasionally I will throw in, uh, one of my favorite authors is C.S. Lewis, Um, occasionally I will throw in one of C.S. Lewis's, um, just, uh, he's got a space trilogy um, book, he's got the Chronicles of Narnia, Um, occasionally I will throw in one of those books while I'm reading, because they're short and they're an easy read, but my favorite part is when you get in the middle of it, and it's like, oh, this is starting to get good, even though I've read it 65 times. But anyone like that? Like you come to the page in the book and you're like, this is it, it's getting good, yeah. The war is going to break out and the, the one guy who you thought was the, the, the peasant is going to rise to become a knight, right? This is the part in the story where it gets good. 
right here. And and one of the reasons why I love the Bible so much is because Moses decides to give us this little important detail about Joseph's life that no one says anything about until now. Look at verse number 6 of chapter 39. And it says, so he left all Potiphar, meaning he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now listen, and now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Man, it took this many chapters to tell us that he was good looking. So like the, it's about to get good. Right here, the story's going to get good. Because now we know Joseph, you're like, Pastor, what, what does it have to do with it? Well, it's important. He's so good looking that Potiphar's wife keeps trying to sleep with him. And those of you who know the story, he keeps refusing. He's like, no, I will not. I will not sleep. How could I do this before God? And he says it over and over, and it makes her mad because she's not used to being rejected. She's rich. She gets the things that she wants. Now look at verse number 11. But one day... When he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house were there in the house, she caught him by his garments. What? She caught him by his garments and she says, lie with me. But look what happens. He left his garments in her hand and fled and got out of the house. His clothing was stripped away yet again. She lies. She accuses Joseph of rape and again. He is slandered. Again, he is thrown unjustly into a pit. That's how life goes sometimes, doesn't it? You guys ever experienced that? When, just when you're making progress on, on all of the debt that you have, that you have consumed, and, and then your car breaks down and it costs you $2,000 to fix it. Or, or just when you're feeling hopeful about your circumstances, something happens and all of the fear and anxiety comes rushing right back in to the very place where you didn't want to go from the very beginning. Or you feel like if you could just get through this one season, everything will be okay. It'll all all work out. And then something unrealistic comes to light. And you're all the way back at square one. And you're back asking God, where are you? You're back in the midst of a prison. And for some, probably in this room, that's not metaphorical. For some, you may feel like you're trapped right here. I have nowhere to go. I can't get away. We find ourselves in what we would literally see as a prison in our lives. But I want you to see something here. Look at verse number 21. But the Lord was with Joseph. 
But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all, all of the prisoners that came into the prison. He has a place of position again because the Lord was with him. He's blessing him. And look at verse 23. And the keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge. Why? Because the Lord was with him. Again, the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Church, your coat, your coat does not define your calling. And the second thing I want us to see is that God's presence is in our prisons. God's presence is in the midst of our prisons. At this point, if you're Joseph, this situation seems worse than it did before. He may have been a slave, but he was still ruling over the house of Potiphar. He was not in prison. But even in the, in the midst of this situation, we are told over and over that the Lord is with him. God's presence was in the prison with Joseph. And for us, his presence is with us as well in the midst of our, our prisons. You know, I have come to learn in my 32 years of life that God is with us in our moments of prosperity just as much as he is with us in our moments of adversity. God is with us in, in the moments of our great health just as much as he is in the moments uh, of our deep sickness. God is with us in our marriages just as much as he is with the one going through divorce. God is with us here on Sunday as we gather for church every single week just as much as he is with us in the wee hours of the night where we're sitting in our beds crying because of something that's going on. You know, God is not surprised by Joseph's situation here. He, he's not surprised by our situations. God did not wake up this morning and be like, oh my goodness, I had no idea you were going through that. God was with Joseph in the prison. You know, one of the hardest things, though, that I've had to learn in being in prisons, metaphorically speaking, is that God may not be ready to take you out of that prison. But he has promised to be with you in it. In the midst of it. For the last several months, I've been reading over and over and over. One of my favorite passages or chapters of scripture is Psalm chapter 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I've learned so many things as I've read that passage of scripture it gets to this part in the, the second verse, and he says that he leads me beside still waters. God leads me, meaning that God is in front of me in the midst of my pain. He's leading me. And then it says, and when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me, meaning that God is on my side. 